0: This is episode 132 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Consumable Supplies Level 1 Prepping and Preparedness, The Top 3 Unstoppable SHTF Scenarios, and Making Old Pioneer Sourdough for Traditional Baking. Hey, I'm Todd Sapolita, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, let's go ahead and let's just get started uh, today. First article comes to us from ModernSurvivalBlog.com. Again, the article is called Consumable Supplies Level 1 Prepping and Preparedness. Uh, There's been a lot of, uh, Ken's been doing a lot of level 1 prepping type uh, articles over there and so uh, we haven't read all of them on the podcast but uh, they're good and so uh, uh, for those of you who are wondering what is level one prepping he's going to describe that for you here in this article so let's get started consumable supplies one of the topics of level one prepping and preparedness are items which are intended to be bought used and then replaced with regards to preparedness it is simply a matter of stocking up on a number of specific items For your convenience and to ensure that you won't run out during a period of disruption. Note, level 1 preparedness is being prepared for a disruption that may last hours, days, or even up to one week. Most all typical disruptions will fit into this category and time frame. Surprisingly though, most people are not adequately prepared even for level 1. Don't let that be you. Stock up on consumable supplies. This really is a short list given that we're talking the very basics. Consumable supplies do not include food and water. Instead, those items are discussed here. There's a link there for prepping for one week water and food. Toilet paper. Did you know that 83% of people polled say they have at least two rolls of toilet paper per person per week will cover wipe or wipe all of their needs. Most preppers are careful to have plenty of this particular consumable supply in their inventory. Sounds like a reasonable priority to me. If you're a newbie prepper, say a family of four, do you have at least eight rolls on the shelf? You might, but I'm just saying having a few cases on hand is one less thing to worry about. Here are some fun facts from our resident expert on the subject. Toilet paper, everything you wanted to know. I know this has come up. Just uh, I, I have done a couple of articles. Actually, I did the one there that... Um, sorry, shaking my microphone there. I uh, did the one that uh, Ken is uh, linking to and then recently did the the, uh, the article on toilet paper and, and stocking up on that from Backdoor Survival. Uh, I, I just, again... I'm going to say I think it's a very, very important prep to have. It's one of those preps that you might not really think about because uh, food and water and defense and medical and all that kind of stuff gets, you know, that's all the the important stuff that a lot of people talk about. But if you don't have, you know, something to wipe your butt uh man that is going to be that's going to be a problem when the poop hits the fan because uh, you know the poops the poop is going to be on your butt and so uh it just it just makes sense find some toilet paper that is on sale just stock up there's there's no reason why and then just rotate it all right that's all I'm going to say about that uh paper plates cups plastic utensils If the power is out and ordinary food prep isn't quite so easy, for example, without electricity, an easy way to deal with serving is to use paper plates and cups and plastic utensils. Why? Because during times of disruption, there might not be water flow to wash dishes. Well pump may be not functional from a power outage. Maybe there's a problem with the municipal water supply. Maybe times of the essence and this convenience helps with that treat it like camping just throw away the dirty paper plates cups and utensils when you're finished. hey I just so let me just stop really quick here uh, I do I do like the aspect of paper plates I mean I, we know plastic is out there as well and to be honest with you I haven't seen a whole lot of paper plates uh, not like you know the, like you used to buy uh, Plastic pretty much fills up the, the shelves you can find paper plates out there you, you can find those. And then you have uh, the chinette stuff that's really really expensive but it's you know it's a harder kind of plastic, uh paper more cardboard type uh, um, you know plate that you have there but um, if you if you have paper plates and paper cups then in order to get rid of them you don't have to you can easily burn that and so if you have a little uh even if you don't have like a burn bin in your backyard let's just say you're in uh, You're in a neighborhood. A lot of people have uh, fire pits, and even though you know ones that you can buy from you know Home Depot or whatever. One of those you know portable ones. I mean, not portable, but ones that you can kind of move around and stuff, and and uh, put up uh, during summertime, and then bring out when it's when it's nicer weather, and you wanna you wanna have a little uh, fire in the back. Um, and so, you know, if you have one of those, then you can go ahead and and burn those kinds of things and just kind of, uh, get rid of some of your trash in that way with utensils, plastic utensils, you wouldn't be able to do that as much. But what you could do there is possibly, um, if you had a little bit of water, you could rinse them. Uh, you could, if they were like white plastic or whatever, you could pe- put people's names on them and kind of save them that way. Um, I mean, you would want to clean them up as much as possible. But uh, something, you know, something to kind of think about there. I mean, you might just have to get rid of them uh, if, if that was the case. But uh, I, I think that's a good. You know, I I definitely think that you should have. Well, okay, I'll get to that in just a minute. But I think you should have some of this trash bags. Um, Let me just keep going. Trash bags, which brings up another consumable supply: trash bags. They're useful for all sorts of things. Again, you probably already have a box of trash bags under the kitchen sink or on the shelf, but maybe it's almost empty. It doesn't hurt to have an extra box or two. Use for trash bag, uses for trash bags, uh, of course for the trash, uh, to keep your dry rain poncho, portable toilet, and blackout curtains. I get two types of of trash bags. I get the regular trash bag that I use in my kitchen, and then I like to get the contractor bags. Um, you can get the big like 55. I mean, maybe they're not 55 gallons. Uh, you know, like the the ones usually that people the the big black ones that people would use for uh, leaves and different things like that they're about like maybe 40 gallons or whatever uh i find that that i always uh, they never just stay like when I, I have a trash can in the backyard and because we have a pool people come over and we barbecue and people throw it in there and they never stay i just like using the big contractor bags uh the big 55 gallon drum bags Uh, They just they just work. You can really fill them up, and then when you're talking about using them for ponchos and for shelters, I mean, you know, I have a couple of those in the bug out bags. Uh, and so you can use them easily for ponchos. They would fit because they're so big. They would fit over a person and in, uh, their backpack if, uh, if it wasn't one of those humongous ones. And, uh, so, you know, they do fit like that. If you needed to use them for a poncho, uh, for a shelter, for a ground covering, uh, you know, they, 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 there's just a lot more, uh, uses for them and they're usually a little bit thicker as well. So uh, I think that's a good investment there to, to have. Moving on. Cleaning and disinfecting wipes. Similarly, for convenience during a time of disruption, having a supply of cleaning wipes may serve you well. The thought here is for scenarios where you might not have normal access to running water. I also keep a container of these in the truck. They've come in handy once in a while. Example, the Clorox disinfecting wipes, 220 count. Paper towels, again another quick and easy convenience for cleanups of all sorts, additional ideas, napkins, tissues, freezer bags, cleaning supplies, aluminum foil, saran wrap, latex, vinyl gloves. The point here is to simply acquire enough of a few particular consumable supplies to make your life easier during a level one preparedness event. Can you think of any additional items in the category that may be useful? Okay, so what I, what I was getting at earlier and kind of stumbling a little bit over my words but uh, not wanting to, to take up too much time within the article um, there, there are some comments here about 82 comments. Uh, somebody says hey uh, I think actually one of the first ones was uh, hey I try to uh, you know try to try to do things that are going to be a little bit more sustainable." And I totally understand that, so like if you were in a situation uh let's say you were out in the country and you had your own well or you had a spring, you had unlimited water supply, and you were able to go ahead and to wash in uh, wash cups and and plates and and utensils and all that kind of stuff. I think that that definitely would be the best uh, thing to do because you wouldn't be using up uh, something that you know that you're not going to be able to purchase later on. Uh, you're not creating trash for yourself, uh, all that kind of stuff. The issue here is that there's a lot of people out there that don't have that. You know, the the thing is level one. You know, like Ken was talking about here, a level one preparedness event. Uh, you could be a week and maybe let's just say you're going a little bit longer than that you know we have a a storm in the gulf that's starting to uh, i think harvey uh, they're talking about that it could reform again and uh, start heading into texas maybe you know into northern mexico and so uh, it kind of brings up memories for all of us of different times that hurricanes have hit uh, down here And, and when ike hit uh, people were were without electricity for a long time. You know, they they were out for a long, long time, uh, and it was crazy because you had pockets of people all over the city. You know, everything like it was normal for them, and then pockets of other people that you know the, they were in a small little uh, poop hit the fan scenario because uh, their house was leaking and uh, or flooded or you know whatever damage, or they didn't have power. You know we were without power for three or four days, and so uh, you know people went you know even longer than that. But in those times, if you don't have water, uh, having something like uh, paper plates and and uh, you know uh, cups and utensils, something that you can easily get rid of, you can use and get rid of. I mean that's that's uh, pretty useful uh, where you don't have uh, have to sit there and you know do dishes and you you might not have water or the water that you have is very precious and so I think here uh, the big the big idea or the big takeaway from from this is if you have the room it doesn't hurt to have some of these supplies it doesn't hurt to have some of these some of these extras right to have some uh, extra paper plates to have some extra maybe paper cups. And definitely have some utensils that you can uh, get into, plastic utensils that if you throw, you know, if you have to throw them away or whatever, that you know you're okay with uh, to get you through. Maybe maybe a week, maybe even longer. Maybe you you uh, you stock up enough for a month. And so uh, I I think that's the takeaway there. If you can uh, have a little bit there, and if you need it, you have it. If not, you know, uh, you have it as well so uh think about those consumable supplies and level one prepping uh and and you know your situation the best, and you know uh what what is possible but uh, I just know that in in uh, well you know when we had uh i think it, it was Hurricane Ike if I remember correctly there was a uh there was areas that were told not to use the water not even not even with uh uh if if you were to boil it. So, uh, you know, that's, that's one of those things where, you know, you wish at, at that point you, you want to have some consumables that you can use up, uh, because you're not going to be using water. All right. The next article comes to us from survival I haven't, uh, I haven't read one of those. They're kind of new to the podcast. I think this is the first, uh, the first article that I am actually reading from them. Uh, and so that's, uh, really good to, uh, to be able to read this one. I th- think this is a really good article, uh, I'm going to there's three scenarios here that they're going to be dealing with uh, and uh, I think there's some some good pointers here now the last scenario I don't agree with and um, you know it's a short one that third one is a short one and so we'll uh we'll got to when we get there we'll get there but uh there's some good stuff here so let's get started on this one coming to us from survivalpedia.com the top Uh, Three Unstoppable SHTF Scenarios. There are almost too many catastrophic possibilities for the end of the world as we know it these days. It's almost creating an inoculation effect on the public and supporting normalcy bias. Everything from giant meteors immolating most of the population to a new and especially violent nation destroying civil war fomented by billionaire totalitarians manipulating us all against each other to burn our country down to the ground in anarchy if they can't continue their tyrannical agenda. But most of these are not an imminent threat yet. What I'm talking about is the real-time, super SHTF, world-class catastrophe like war, weather, biopandemics, and terrorism. Things that are always hanging over like a hellish cloud that can release its deadly hailstorm at any minute. Here, here are the ones hitting critical mass. Brace yourself. Uh, before I move on, just there are some times here where I'm going to have to correct uh, maybe some words that maybe were out of place or whatever, so just bear with me. Um, number one is strike on North Korea and the potential start of World War III. In case you haven't been paying attention, North Korea has been purposefully expanding its effort as an irascible world pestilence since the new Trump administration arrived. But history has shown North Korea to always have more bark than bite, and nothing has ever come of it. In fact, most people think it's just their cultural mentality to threaten to nuke the U.S. It's the way they do diplomacy. Negotiation shave always failed uh, because right up front the fact is stated that nothing the West wants them to do will be negotiated in talks. So there never will be any talks. This has been going on for decades, so what's the big deal with all this now? After all, in a military conflict with the US, North Korea would be like what would be like Ant's motor scooter getting run over by a four hundred horsepower dodge ram charger. We wouldn't even need tactical newts to reduce this insolent rogue country and its maniac in chief into a bomb crater pockmarked replica of the dark side of the moon. So why not just continue the status quo and ignore North Korea altogether? And maybe release their sanctions on high fructose corn syrup, saturated foods, and maybe the tubby cornflakes bowl haircut tyrant will die of morbid obesity and be replaced by a less malevolent leadership. Because this time, it's insanely different. North Korea has reached a threshold that emboldens him to new heights of deadly hubris he is building intercontinental nuclear warhead ballistic missiles and flaunting them in our faces and then overtly threatening to nuke us with them. One of Trump's serious campaign promises was a vow to never let North Korea become a military nuclear power able to hit our mainland with nuclear weapons. If that vow is not honored, there's no chance for a second term for Trump and no future for his party. So when Kim Jong-un Pulled his In Your American Face missile test stunt last 4th of July. The final tune-up of the Pentagon plan to strike North Korea were in play. Trump doesn't really have to justify a strike to anybody. You won't find too many who will disagree with the notion that nobody wants to make the mistake made by Germany in the 1930s by ignoring a similar mad dictator by the name of Hitler who was basically ignored until it was too late and he eventually amassed a military powerful enough to cause World War II which destroyed entire countries. In the past few weeks Trump and his advisors carefully orchestrated world opinion to make it appear that we we are not aggressors only... Peaceful defenders of our land from a severely cracked nut job. Trump's media courtship of the Chinese to try to persuade North Korea to stop their long-range weapons development had everything but the engagement ring on bended knee. The Chinese, however, threw it back on the U.S., saying that it's our problem. Beijing confirmed that Kim Jong Un doesn't care about threats of military action from the U.S. or any increase in sanctions. He simply will not give up his nuclear missile efforts. Period for any reason, then Trump appealed to other u n world leadership to reunite against North Korea for serious pressure and collective sanctions. This kind of obligatory, politically correct grovelling received no real patronage, and Trump exited the scene of international politic ballroom dancing with the anticipated but necessary world viewpoint that he did his best to find a peaceful alternative. But nobody seems to care. So, if it's only the responsibility of the U.S., then the rest of the story will soon become future American military history. Are there any other peaceful options? Oh, you mean like the North Korean leader suddenly having a change of heart and bowing down to the U.S. wearing olive branches on his mandatory state haircut with surrender papers in hand, so he'll have a new chance to live long enough to grow into middle age while South Korean and NATO inspection teams sweep his country for WMDs? Fat chance. Ha ha. And how bad is that? According to my mil intel or my military intel sources, the only reason this new administration hasn't initiated a major surgical strike yet to make out his current nuclear arsenal is because of the politici- politically formable retaliatory response tactics deployed by North Korea in the form of the so-called pirate r- victory principle, making it far too costly in terms of human life to be worth any perceived spoils of victory. However, as we might painfully see, this might be a moot and eventually irrelevant factor in the larger analysis for military action justification, with the subjectivity and the decision weighing in the same way it did with the decision to nuke Hiroshima and Nagasaki. To prevent even more loss of lives than treasure later on in a future conflict with decisive action now. It's not even a very tough decision for the Trump administration considering that World War II precedent and weighing the cost of waiting too long. It is estimated that there will be over a half million civilian casualties in the first few days of action before it calms down. Before there will be no escaping the carnage not seen since the Vietnam conflict which will be paled by comparison as tens of thousands of heavy artillery and rockets rain down on Seoul and a massive phalanx of military tanks and choppers on both sides demolish everything in their path along the DMZ in a firestorm of death. To preclude the escalation of a larger full-scale war between South and North Korea, after any initial surgical strike against North Korea's nuclear missile program, Seoul is now allowing the THAAD anti-missile defense system in South Korea, which is the advanced big brother of the Patriot Shield system in Israel. There are also two other relatively secret systems in play, and now also being surreptitiously deployed for us to assist THAAD development In the taking down of any Scud or other medium-range heavy payload missile launched by North Korea before they reach their targets. Then what? White House press spokesman Sarah Huckabee, when asked at a recent press conference about North Korea after an earlier U.S. intercontinental missile test, stated that no option is off the table, but we're not tipping our hand with details. Lindsey Graham also said this week that conflict is inevitable unless... Pyongyang stops testing weapons. North Korea's foreign minister, Rai Yong-ho, just emphasized in an international interview that North Korea will never quit their nuclear ballistic missile defense program. Never. Kim Jong-un threatened massive retaliation for the latest sanctions voted on by Congress to cripple at least a third of North Korea's already brutal economy. Trump tweeted the other day that North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States They will be met by fire and fury that the world has never seen. Up until now, we didn't care much about his threats. It was estimated that he only had a few nuclear weapons, none capable of threatening the U.S. That suddenly all changed. The intelligence community just issued a new devastating alert. It appears that North Korea had been moving much faster than expected and now has powerfully miniaturized nuclear warheads ready to install on their long-range intercontinental missiles when perfected in the near future that will be able to reach Chicago. What they're not telling you is that one type of nuclear weapon that North Korea had always been interested in developing with the help of Russian and Chinese technology was a high electromagnetic pulse, or hemp warhead. Do they... Do they also have one of those as well? Vegas won't give you odds that they don't. So here are the details of the military operation they won't reveal. When our Asian war machines gets revved up and good to go, collateral damage is prepared for and can be controlled and minimized and South Korea and allies are firmly on board with a first strike attack. The supercomputer at the Pentagon will give the info and the War Department will analyze the algorithmic percentage of success probabilities and when it gives the nod, dot, 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 then the U.S. would want to be able to portray an initial attack as just a counterattack which followed a first move by North Korea. So we will wait patiently and likely attack during a future repeat North Korea long-range missile test Later claiming the missile's traje- trajectory was analyzed at launch to be a direct preemptive attack on Japan or Guam or on our own mainland. Or, as just happened these days, we will set the stage, quote unquote, set the stage, for this by instigating and goading. Kim Dimwit, to take the first punch to get things started. So Trump escalated the testosterone tirade to higher levels by stating that the U.S. war machine will be conducting massive joint allied military staging exercises this month off the coast of Korea and that the U.S. armada will then be, quote unquote, locked and loaded. And the toady tyrant boy responded with a detailed threat to immediately wipe out Guam if that occurred. Will you be enjoying the music? I hope you are at least prepping for it. The more serious problem with this powerful poker hand are the two wild cards that are still waiting to be turned over on the world gaming table. One is whether or not the Pentagon will decide to use smaller scale tactical nukes on North Korea to end the war quickly and save prolonged engagement and allied casualties. Considering the complications of nuclear weapons deployment, it would set a precedent if a country like Iran or China or Pakistan decided to take advantage of the military preoccupation of the U.S. and its allies to bust a military move elsewhere for its own hegemonic agenda. Then all hell could break loose and seriously affect our own economy and lifestyle here. The other wild card is considering the now serious Russiagate problems with his dark state enemies homing in forcefully on Trump's family and associates for serious prosecutions, Trump might just decide to pull the trigger on North Korea ASAP for any acceptable excuse. After all, there are no no impeachable, I'm sorry, no there are no impeachments or potential criminal proceedings allowed against the sitting wartime president. It all would get put on hold for the duration which would be more than enough time for the Trump administration to fix everything by firing whoever needed firing and put a stop to Russiagate investigations once and for all. That alone would be worth pulling the trigger. But if it succeeded in quickly taking out the North Korean regime and destroying their nuclear capabilities for future without creating World War III in the process for the defense of the American people, that would likely ensure his second term and make the risk even more worth taking. So, real long one on this first scenario here, and, uh, a lot of people believe that, right? If, if we were going to war, if, if, uh, if everything was in place and we could minimize uh, the damage to South Korea, our our big ally, um, yeah, I mean, the war machine would have been, you know, would would go into effect. You know, one of the things that just a lot of people are, are wondering why China is not getting involved. You know, wouldn't it wouldn't it benefit China to get North Korea in line, or even for them to? Um, to invade and take over and then you know, they can, they can uh, you know, change North Korea into what they, they would want. Uh, I can't believe that they would want America going in there and, and taking care of it because I mean, one of the things that Trump always said was uh, like, you know, when talking about Iraq and stuff, you know if we're going to go into Iraq and we're going to spend our money and we're going to send our military and blah, blah, blah and all this kind of stuff, well then we need to be repaid with oil. Right. And so, uh, you know, if he's he's made that that statement over and over again about different things and how other countries need to pay their fair share of, uh, you know, of our military helping out and being over there and, and all that good stuff. So you you got to imagine that he's going to have that idea as well if, for whatever reason, America goes and and goes it alone and takes out North Korea. There's going to have to be some, you know, he's going to want some benefit out of it. And I can't believe that China would want that. But anyway, uh, you could kind of see very easily how things could ramp up and uh, and get going there. All right, the second scenario is a mortally wounded power grid. I know we talk a lot about this, but... uh, so let's let's listen to this one here, uh, this scenario. The second imminent nationwide catastrophe will be the power grid. And I've already told you about it. So there's a link here. Many prepare for a potentially imminent solar event, a hemp attack, or devastating grid hack by cyber terrorists. The worst case scenario for a major grid collapse are far more mundane and about to happen any time now. Interestingly, major cyber attack power outages happen to be FEMA's major priority right now. Just this week the major vacation area of Cape Hatteras Carolina Islands, on the east coast experienced a total power outage blackout when the main power source to the area was severed by a piece of heavy construction equipment. The situation got worse when there is no telling when the power will be restored. Fresh water is gone and thousands of tourists are being evacuated and a state of emergency has been declared. There are virtually no backup generators on the island, and they can't get them there fast enough before the situation goes from bad to worse. The, businesses, the business losses will not be recoverable for years. There was little significant MSM or mainstream media coverage of a recent event where three major cities in the U.S. had three very curious major but brief power outages simultaneously one morning. Then a nuclear power station out west was hit with a cyber attack, but managed to resist it with advanced computer cyber IT. There are outages across the country almost every week. There are warnings of severe power infrastructure problems currently at dangerous levels that are only deteriorating until a major domino effect can shut down enough of the country's power to throw it in mass chaos. Because when that many areas are blacked out, there will not be help coming anytime soon, if at all. But we are so dependent upon electricity in our lives that if you are a master off-grid bushcraft uh, parish right along with their dying homesteader, you might be one of the fortunate few. Most of the world simply is not, and many will flashlight batteries. Uh, so there's a couple of here that I have just, you know, like the bushcraft parish, Right, I think there's some wording here that got kind of uh, maybe autocorrected, uh, and uh, so, and even that last sentence. And many will flashlight bat- Many will, I guess, you know, use up their flashlight batteries. I guess is uh, is what they were trying to say. All right, continuing on. Then there's the other way to cause a major grid collapse: a concentrated, well-planned commando-style attack on certain power stations to begin the domino effect, a widespread blackout. It's unnerving to realize how weak and fragile our grid system really is, and how all three of these in progress, quote unquote, in progress events could all somehow contribute to nationwide blackouts. At a recent privately held world summit in Washington on the impact of a massive cataclysm and its effect on the infrastructure and survivability of societies, attended by experts from 200 countries, one of the hosts, a former Florida Congresswoman Michelle Vasilinde made an alarming statement that it's not if a black sky or massive power infrastructure collapse event will occur, it's when. SHTF events don't get much worse than a dead and varied power grid where nothing is on anymore and life as we need it comes to a grinding, unbearable halt. So uh, he does bring up the uh, the attacks on the power grid. Uh, A coordinated attack. Uh, A lot of these, a lot of these substations. uh, I mean, there's nobody there to protect them, and so people could walk right in there, plant some C4, uh, you know, uh, bring in, roll up a, a van, you know, filled with explosives. And, uh, and do something, do some damage. And if they did this all over the place, uh, you know, could could cause some damage to our power grid. Uh, I know that here in our, in our neighborhood, I was uh, reading on a community forum uh, where we've had some flickers. And I, we don't know if, uh, if it was just because it's been really, really hot and so ACs are running. And, uh, you know, one of the problems when you have that is people were talking about their capacitors like in, you know, in their AC units would go out. Yeah, because of the flickering and stuff like that. And so you have that damage and you have that uh, um, need to uh, replace that, especially when it's so hot. I mean, you can't go without an AC. So a lot of things there uh, you know, that come into play there. All right, the third scenario here, and this is the one that uh, I don't necessarily agree with and other people in the comment section. One, one person in the comment section was like, I was with you. I really liked the article up until the third scenario. And so uh, let's go ahead and get on that one. Number three is end-of-the-world geoengineering, also known as chemtrails, harp weather control. Despite the grave imminence of the aforementioned SHTF scenarios, this one is by far the most ominously horrible. Because the catastrophe is being created by our own dark state government, and we the sheeple are virtually oblivious to it and do nothing about it. And because this apocalypse is not imminent, it is not near. It is absolutely happening right here and right now. It just may become the worst apocalypse humanity has ever seen, even ushering in an actual human species extinction. Just look up in the sky, it's a bird. No, it's a plane, but it's definitely ain't Superman, more like the Grim Reaper. So there is a, uh, a video here. Uh, by geoengineeringwatch.org, blatant and inarguable, inarguable geoengineering jet spraying captured. All right, continuing on. I wrote about celebrities like the late Prince and Merle Haggard, who were Kimchi activists, and I was amazed at how many people still thought Kimchis were a conspiracy theory. That's got to be one of the world's greatest hoaxes continuously perpetrated on the people. But unauthorized criminally covered up geoengineering and chemtrails are a proven fact. But the dark state government has cleverly kept us under heavy cloud cover in the form of target focused brainwashing. And it has gotten much worse lately. I won't elaborate now. Combined with the above doom and gloom, it might be too depressing for you all at once. But prepare yourself for a life changing revelation. You'll learn why the only real global warming is the one intentionally created by the geoengineering totalitarian monsters. The end game. The major prep focus for the above events are food and power backup. Each above event is in expanded danger could affect these areas tremendously. If you haven't done so already, you should at least get some of the survival guidebooks we have here to start planning. Good luck, but we all know it ain't about luck. So, uh, there, like I said, there are some um, uh, some comments here that you can go check out and uh, and read up on uh, and, and go there. I, I think, um, like I said, I really like Scenario 1 and uh scenario two uh you know they throw some extra things out there maybe that we haven't talked about recently um but scenario three uh yeah the chemtrails thing you know i remember james wesley ross wrote an article um it wasn't a very long one it's been a while though but he's like you know, if the chemtrails uh or maybe maybe it was like a an an added note like an editorial or an editor's note or whatever on someone's uh on one of the articles that he posted on his website. But uh, he said, you know, if, if Kim Charles was a real thing, that by now there would have been, like people would have found the planes that they use. People would have found the chemicals that they use by now. Uh, just with all the reporting that goes on and and snooping that goes on, I mean, there there would have been some real hard evidence. Not just, you know, clouds up in the sky uh, or, or planes, you know, Putting out vapors or whatever, uh, and and so uh, you know that kind of made sense for me there. Uh, I, you're always going to hear about Kim Charles. That's always going to be one of the things out there because it's uh, one thing that people can point to. But I I do think that the North Korea thing, uh, again, that's why I, you know stay prepared and you're stay aware of what's going on, and in uh, the grid. I think that's one thing you know you uh, you need to be thinking about. All right, so that's over at survivalpedia.com. Go check that one out. Um, Good stuff there. Our last article of the podcast comes to us from Preppers Will, and uh, it's it's called Making Old Pioneer Sourdough for Traditional Baking. And really, uh, I I've uh, linked to one of these, or we read a sourdough starter. Uh, article not too long ago, um, but for some reason this keeps popping up for me in my head, and I I just got to bite the bullet and do it, and you know maybe maybe Friday friday evening maybe saturday morning i need to go ahead and start the starter and just get it get it going and maybe uh you know a week from saturday somebody can 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 email me and kind of keep me accountable and say hey did you start the starter did you get it going uh because the way that they're describing it here though is not with yeast it's basically you're using uh they're walking you through how to do it uh, just with uh, the yeast that winds up coming, you know, from the air, basically, and that's already in the air, uh, in the environment, and in flour and water, and it, you know, kind of go from there, kind of like they just used to do it in the old days before they had all the, you know, stuff that you can get at the grocery store. So anyway, uh, I I really do want to try this at some point. I just I just gotta I just gotta bite the bullet and get it going. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Uh, Hopefully it's interesting for you. Maybe you might try it as well. Uh, You know, There's nothing like hot, fresh bread. So here we go. I'm fascinated by the old ways of living, and my mother and grandmother were the ones that showed me how to do things the old-fashioned way. I love to bake, and I often surprise my family and friends with old recipes. Making pioneer sourdough is one of the teachings I try to pass on, and I'm sure this will help people when supermarkets will be closed. People used to live quite well without the conveniences we have today. Traditional living doesn't necessarily mean we have to cut back and sacrifice our comfort. On the contrary, on our homestead, we practice old-fashioned ways of working and cooking, and the quality of our life has improved over time. Making a Pioneer sourdough starter is one of the secrets I'm willing to share with the readers of this website. This sourdough starter will enable you to bake many different dishes without having to use any store-bought yeast. Nothing compares to the taste of homemade bread, and it's worth learning how to make your own. Many preppers are storing flour or grains, and they plan to make baking goods for their family. In fact, grains and wheat are known to contain phytic acid, which prevents us from absorbing phosphorus, but also binds to other minerals like iron, calcium, and magnesium. To lower the phytic acid level and let your body absorb the minerals it needs, you should make traditional sourdough by soaking flour for a lengthy period. How to make Pioneer Sourdough You can find many recipes online for making a sourdough starter, but I prefer to use my traditional recipe, just like the pioneers used to do it. I don't want to use sugar or store-bought yeast for for my starter. It's easy to make it and you need a glass jar, water, and flour. You can basically use any flour you desire, but from experience, I can tell you that you will have more luck with whole wheat flour. When you first begin your starter, you will need to feed it twice a day for the first week. After that, the feeding time depends on how much you cook with it. If you don't plan to use it daily, you can store it in the fridge and feed it once a week. Pioneer Sourdough Day-to-Day Guide Day 1 Start by placing one one-fourth cup of warm water and six tablespoons flour, of flour in a clean jar. Start in the morning as you will need to check the starter 12 hours later. I also recommend not using chlorinated water if possible. We use well water. Stir the flour and water and cover the jar with a piece of cheesecloth. Place the jar in a warm area. After 12 hours, check the starter for signs of bubbles. If you notice any, this means your starter is active. You will see only one or two bubbles at first, but if that's not the case, you shouldn't panic. Just add another one-fourth cup of warm water and six tablespoons of flour. Stir until everything is evenly mixed. Day 2. Check the jar in the morning and you should see signs of activity. Feed the starter with another fourth cup of water and six tablespoons of flour. Make sure you also scrape the sides of the jar so that everything is evenly mixed. Feed again after 12 hours. Day 3. You will need to remove half of the starter in the jar to avoid it outgrowing your jar. Don't worry, it is not strong enough to use yet and you won't waste it if you put it in your compost bin. Feed the starter following the same quantities as above. Don't forget to feed it again after 12 hours. Day 4-7 through seven. The same routine goes on as you did in days 1-3. through three. Stir and feed your starter in the morning and in the evening. You should do so for the rest of the week, but you would need to remove some starter when there isn't enough room in the jar for the starter to rise after feeding. At the end of the week, you should see lots of bubbles and the starter should be rising faster than before after it's fed. After the first week when feeding your starter use 1 4 cup of water and 6 tablespoons of flour each time. It should be like a thick batter. If you notice it too watery take out a tablespoon of water at the next feeding. If it's too thick you can cut back a tablespoon of flour at the next feeding. You should adjust it as you go and you will notice a pattern after a few days. Once the starter is established you can store it in the fridge if you don't plan to cook with it for a few days. To keep it active, you can feed it twice a day using 1/8 cup of water and three tablespoons of flour twice a day. To keep it in dormancy, feed it only twice per week. My Secrets for Pioneer Sourdough Success My general rule is to wait three days and wait for the bubbles to, re- to appear. If that doesn't happen, I throw it away and start again. You need a warm area for your Pioneer Sourdough to remain active. In the winter, I often store it near the heat mint or on top of the fridge. It helps to keep it active if it gets really cold. Always store your starter in an area where you can see it. It will help you remember to feed it and you won't skip any feeding times. Try placing it on the kitchen counter for better accessibility. You will sometimes notice a light brown liquid forming on top of your starter. This is what we call a hooch, and it's a clear starter that your Pioneer Sourdough has run out of food. You need to feed it more often or increase the quantity. If you struggle with power outages or if water is scarce, you can keep your starter thicker. It helps you make good pancakes and you won't need to add flour right before baking. If you plan to make Pioneer Sourdough for bread baking, you need to wait 2 or 3 weeks for it to get strong enough. After only a week, you can bake foods that don't require doubling like waffles. The conclusion. Making pioneer sourdough is amazingly simple and you don't need cooking experience. You should need a glass jar, flour, water, and patience. Just keep your eyes on the starter and feed it at the right time. And that's pretty much all there is to it. You will gain experience after a few tries and you will know when to cut the feeding or increase it. My grandmother used to sleep with the sourdough starter to keep it from freezing, and her teachings have been passed down in our family for more than 100 years. I encourage you to make pioneer sourdough and discover how it is to bake like in the old days. So, just uh, two comments here. And one of them was, "Hey, what's the recipe? You know, what recipe do you have?" And so maybe they will uh, they will share the recipe a little bit later on. But I, I think the last article that we linked to, uh, you know, on on the podcast it's been a while though uh did have a recipe but at least this is the sourdough starter and getting started uh let's just say uh, yeah a lot of preppers do store like wheat berries and uh you know they store for 25 years if they you know if you package them correctly uh, and it might be that you want to bake some bread later on down the road. And so, uh, you, you know, having a sourdough starter is the way to do it. Uh, that's, that's a way to, uh, to get it going. And, and plus the fact that it's just, it's, it's healthier for you. And, uh, when you're buying bread at the store, there's all that crap in there. Right. So, uh, I mean, that's another reason why I want to, I want to try it uh, for myself as well. Uh, and, uh, just, you know, I i don't know just uh see what we can do but i don't know maybe i need somebody so a week from this saturday uh someone needs to email me like hey todd how's this how's the how's the sourdough starter going uh, i'll try to see what i can do and get it going for uh for saturday uh and, and go from there and then uh, maybe i'll just report back on uh on how uh how it all went and uh and you know share that with you well, I appreciate you hanging with me if you if you've gotten this far on the podcast, um, it's always great to hear from people, uh, from listeners. Uh, if you're out there and you appreciate the podcast,, uh, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can uh, leave a comment in one of the episodes uh, on the prepper website dot Hey, if you uh, you know i don't I don't monetize the this podcast yet. I, maybe at some point, uh, I do, you know, I was listening to a podcast today and, uh, you know, they had, uh, it looked like they had, uh, ads, uh, that were put in there by, uh, the hosting, uh, uh, server that, that they use or whatever. And so they, you know, they're monetizing it that way. Uh, I haven't done that yet. I don't know what I feel comfortable with. I haven't decided where I want to go with all that. Um, you know, there are, there are, you know, uh, aspects of 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 expenses going out. I mean, it, it costs to do the podcast. Uh, you know just the the hosting and in the website and different things like that. So uh, at some point, I realized, you know I need to there needs to be a little bit of money coming in from the podcast to uh, to help support it and so but again i haven't realized i haven't figured that how i want to do all that you know i'm trying to keep it real audible trying to uh you know it's one reason why i don't put bumper music in the front or in the back i just kind of start and uh hopefully you know you do appreciate that uh one of the things i hate is when i listen to a podcast and it's just the 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 intro is so long it's kind of like man let's just forward through it and and uh you know when you're listening to that and you're ready to get into a podcast, uh, even something that's thirty seconds long seems like a, a long time. But uh, try not to do that. I'm trying to keep it audible. Uh, you know I'm trying to do something just a little bit different than other people are doing out there. So uh, all that to say is if you uh, if you'd like to support uh, Prepper website and the Prepper website podcast, I uh, know I don't have Patreon. i don't I'm not asking for donations or anything like that. But if you do buy from Amazon, uh, we do have an Amazon link. On uh, the prepper website podcast, we do have it on prepper website i 'd have it on ed that matters and uh, you know you can use that link to go to amazon and when you use our link to go to Amazon, whatever you buy, we get a little percentage of it doesn 't cost you anything extra but it does uh, it does give us a little percentage of what you um, just give us a little percentage of, of what you, whatever you bought, you know, and uh, that all adds up. So I do appreciate that. Uh, if, you know, if you, that's one way that you can support us. So anyway, hey, choose to live a more self reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.